Thanks, Kenny. Uh, if you do have a Bible, uh, why don't you go to Matthew chapter 9, and that's where we'll be this morning. Thrilled that you're here. Welcome to the fall, sort of. You know, tomorrow's supposed to maybe hit 90 degrees, but I know, which is, which is great. You could get a tan in your sweater. Like, just play fall, but get a tan in it. Um, anyway, well, I love, I don't know about you, I love this season. It's the season of pumpkin spice and changing colors and leaves and layered clothing, which some people are into that. I'm very much into that. And the fireplace, you know, I just love our, our, our wood-burning fireplace, but when it's 80 out, it's not that exciting. But this is that time of year. I love a season of change. Well, if you're new here, welcome. This is the perfect time to come and see what God is doing because we're in a seven-part uh, vision series that we do every fall. It's, the length is different, but we do it every fall to reorient our minds on why we're here and what it means to live as a disciple to Jesus. And uh, so we're in week three, and this is a, a big one and a good one. Um, some things don't change, though. When, when we talk about a vision series, I'm not suggesting every year we figure out a whole new thing to do. Like, we are here to help people experience life in Jesus. That's our everyday mission, our every week mission, our every month mission, but there are seasons to life, and there are seasons of change. You know, you're born into a family, then you hit your school age years, and then you hit early adulthood and making your own choices and getting your own place and paying your own bills. And then, you know, if you do have kids, they, they someday leave the house. Life is filled with change. Every organization has change, and every family has change, and every person has change. And so there are, there is a constant to the vision, but I, I want to suggest that any life-giving organism, even though there's a constant, will have periods of change. So with that in mind, what we want to do is reread Matthew 9. That's where we've been the last two weeks. This is week number three. Let's reread the text, and then we're going to pull out a few ideas for uh, this morning. Matthew 9, 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Underline the word compassion. Because they were harassed and they were helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are the few, are few. Ask, underline that word, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now we'll keep reading. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And we'll just keep reading for a little bit. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's also called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of De Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So what we get is Jesus's understanding and vision for growth. Matthew's telling us in the summary statement how Jesus grew in his, his service to the world and his calling to his people. So we saw two weeks ago, it starts with compassion, a deep feeling, a longing. We connect with people in a deep level. 
Well, when that happens, we're motivated to do something. So Jesus, filled with compassion, he heals. Not just deep feeling, but feeling that leads to a different way of life. And then we saw last week that Jesus not only had compassion, but he called. He calls here 12. He called people to himself. What did he call them to? He called them to pray. Ask. He doesn't say go. He says, ask the Father. The Father wants to send laborers into his field. The Father sees brokenness. The Father has compassion. The Father sends the Son. And then the Son sends the disciples. So when we realize and we feel deeply because God is within us and we are sensing it's, it's time to act, Jesus says, follow your calling. What's your calling? Your calling is to pray. My calling as a believer is to pray. Now, the way I act may be different than you. What I do may be different than you. Where I go may be different than you. But the calling for every believer in Jesus, every Jesus follower, is the same. We are a praying people. Why? Because the Father knows. The Father knows where and when and who and how. And so if I'm not a growing uh, follower of Jesus in the area of prayer, I'm going to be stunted in my ability to live out compassion. All right, so that was those two. The third one I want us to see, and we're going to focus on today, is this whole idea of community. Notice what happens here. Jesus calls him to pray, but then look at verse 2. Here are the names of the apostles. This is the only time Matthew uses the word apostle. Some of us get caught up, well, that, those were the apostles. That, that was Jesus. Most of the time, Matthew just calls them the 12 or calls them the disciples. Apostle wasn't some big religious term. An apostle was a courier, a messenger, a delegate. You run a business, you can't show up to the meeting, you send someone. That's all an apostle was. One who is sent, sent on the mission of their boss. And so, so Matthew does use this term. The 12 are important, but don't get the idea that it's all about the 12 because of this one word. In all of that text, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon and his brother, Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. If you're reading it in Greek, the word chi, and, is there every single time. And I think this is Matthew's point. Jesus did not call Peter, who is the boldest. He did not call Matthew, who's probably the wealthiest because he was a tax collector. He called and. Matthew gives us 12 of the followers, but doesn't just list the 12. He says, and, every time. Matter of fact, Luke draws it out that Jesus sent them out two by two. The focus isn't on the individual. The focus is on the group of people that Jesus called. So compassion and calling leads to community. It's and. Now, so what's the big deal? What does this mean for us as a church? It means that, that Jesus is calling us in a personal dimension. There is something about you following Jesus. But don't forget that he's called you to something, and that's his community. Matthew makes a distinction. These are the 12 early ones, the first ones who were sent as Jesus' people. Now, now, two mistakes that we can make here, and we want to avoid both. We can 
overemphasize community life. That is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means you come to the gathering. It means you go to one of our communities in a home. It means that you do these group exercises, that you join the club, so to speak. One mistake we could make is to say it's all about community. Well, the challenge is we're not Costco. You know, Costco, you, you go in, if you like what they have to offer, you go and get the membership card and you get your photo on the card and you get the benefits of group purchasing, right? Including $5 rotisserie chicken, people. <laughs> Don't tell me you haven't bought it this week. Anyway, uh, that's, we're, not, we're not just Costco with a spiritual dimension. We're not just a community. There is something about you following Jesus. So what, hear me clearly. It is important that you, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew gave us earlier in his gospel the account of him calling individuals to follow him. So that's important for sure. So we can make one mistake and overemphasize community. I think more often we make the other mistake and we overemphasize you following Jesus. The challenge with that line of thinking is, is why do I go to this church? Because this church is feeding me. This church has what I need. Now, hopefully this church does. But if you overemphasize, then it becomes nothing more than you having a playlist, which is on your phone. I choose the music. I don't want the album. I want the song. I want this tempo. I want this style. And everything to do with Jesus is filtered through what you think. So now, it is important. What you think is actually important. And your growth is important. But you see the tension here. So it's not either or. I think it is me and Jesus and we and Jesus. And if you cut out half of the equation, you miss the plot line. It is me and Jesus, but it is we and Jesus. And so we want to avoid these extremes. Now, why is this important? Because we live in an age, and you think it's, you think it's full bloom yet? We're just getting started. Because we live in the digital age, because we live in the playlist age, because we live in the Apple Music age, your customizable uh, way to life is already affecting your belief and your following Jesus, whether you know it or not. It's happening in the church, and we just want to, we want to step against the extreme. So there is a whole movement of online spirituality. Like, I, I love Jesus, but I'm not sure about the church. I love Jesus. I love the Bible. I love God. I love prayer. But, but you know, I used to go to, I meet more and more people say, well, so where do you, where do you go? Who are you with? Well, I used to go to church, but, and then something happened. Usually a hurt, usually a disappointment, a scandal. Something broke. And then what happens is you come to the conclusion, I, me, Jesus, yes. I know that's bad English, but I want you to get my point. Me and Jesus, yes. We and Jesus, I'm not so sure. Or, or if so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick a few buddies. And so what we'll do is we'll go into a home and we'll pick our favorite teacher and we'll podcast and we'll talk about it. And we are now a church. Or I'm just going to do it online because I, I do all my shopping online. So I'm, I'm going to join the online community. And so I'll just listen to someone who I've never met or can never meet. And I'll listen to them. And if I have a prayer request, I'll just chat it online. And I can do giving online. And, and all of that. Now, I'm not here to step on anyone's toes. 
and judge any other community. Do not, do not hear that. But hear this. I think when, when I'm in pain, I actually want someone to hold my hand. I believe that when I'm suffering, I need someone to come to the hospital and suffer with me. I think that when I go offline and I go offline in my following of Jesus all the time, I need someone in my face saying, I love you enough, Jose, to tell you you are wrong. And you will never find that online. Now, at the same token, we're going to add a video podcast, starting with our next series, starting with Romans, because we're living in an individual age and there's nothing wrong with someone watching content as, as an enhancement to a real family. Family life is best done in person. So our calling is always to serve Jesus together. Now, community life. How do we do that here? You'll have to wait till next week. I want, we want to draw that out. Kenny, our community's pastor, is going to lay out for us because he's at the heart of it. And he's working with our team of community leaders and coaches and our structures to see that you have every opportunity to step into community life. But I'm just going to end that section of this text with an encouragement. If, if you went to one before and it didn't work out, so what? Let's just move on. If you went to one in another church and you think, oh, these are all the same, so what? They're not. I'm asking you to actually give it another chance this year. Commit for the next year. I'm going to walk through life with a few people and we're going to eat and we're going to pray. We're going to love Jesus together. We're going to grow. We're going to mess up. We're going to make each other mad and we're going to hug. If you're into the hugging part. If you're not, okay, whatever. But commit to that this year. All right, that's next week. And, and Kenny will have more to say. But let's just look at verse, let's continue with verse 5 of Matthew 10. So Jesus has compassion. Jesus calls a group of people. He brings them into a new community. And then he says, verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following, you can underline this word, instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who are of leprosy, drive out demons. Like an easy list, right? <laughs> this is Jesus. Just go do just some radical stuff. Freely you have received, now freely give. Instructions. That's what I want us to focus on. Next week, community, but now. Jesus gives his disciples very real-time Instructions. Now, we live in a very sensitive age. There are enough riots going on in enough cities that it's scary. But look at what Jesus says, because he could almost start a riot here. Imagine him saying this in Portland. Look again. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. That will get you, that'll get you fired at most jobs. Now, Let's just ask a few questions. Who's called to go? All of them. All 12, not Peter, who is the boldest. Every one of them is called to go. But where do they go? Don't go to non-Jews. Is Jesus a racist? Is he exclusive? If you read the text, you're like, wow, this will get you in trouble. No, real-time instructions. See, what Jesus is doing is giving in their season of life, they have a particular call. These 12 are to go to a specific group at a specific time for a specific reason. 
Now, what are they supposed to do? Jesus tells them, as you go, verse 7, proclaim whatever you want to say, just say it. No, this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, what's the, well, what does that mean? If you've read Matthew up to this stage, you know, John the Baptist came preaching, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This was a message to the Jewish people who were waiting based on the prophets of the Old Testament for the coming of the deliverer to bring in the kingdom of God. Jews are living in Rome without a Jewish king. God says, I'm going to change it. I will send a king. So John says the king is coming. Jesus says the king has come. And now what, what Jesus is to his disciples in, in code, we don't get this, but what he's saying is tell people about me, the kingdom of heaven. Heaven has come to earth. God's space is now on planet earth. The Messiah is here. Now, if you weren't a Jew, that message didn't mean anything. That's why in real time for a season of life, Jesus says to 12, go to these towns, these people, and I want you to give them the message of God. Now, how do they do this? How do they, how do they go about the mission? Who goes? Everybody. Where do they go? To a specific group of people. How do they go? How are they going to do this? Look at verse 9 again. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for your journey. No extra shirt. Which seems like a very strange command. Like I don't get a backup. I always come to church with two shirts. Literally. I come wearing one and I change. One's lighter color, one's dark, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, I'm being serious. Or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Some of you, I've already lost you. Now, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Stay at their house until you leave. What is Jesus saying here? Is he interested in like us having a smelly shirt rather than a change of clothes? No. Every one of them is about trust. I want you to preach this message. The king has come. Tell people about me. And when you go, just trust me. How many of you would say, um, in order to enjoy a vacation, it must be planned out to a T. How many of you are in that boat? Like, if I'm going to go on vacation, I need to plan it out. Okay, some of you are just lying. Yeah, right. like, well, I don't want to admit it, but I am that. Okay, what Jesus is saying is, drop your plan for a moment. Go, trust me. I am going to lead you. I'm going to provide. And by the way, don't worry about, you don't need a travel agent. You don't have to need to have it figured out. When you go into that town, he's already going to provide a house for you to stay for the entire time. Everything you need, I've got. It's an issue of trust. Trust me, I'm sending you. Trust me, only go to the Jews. Trust me, just tell them this message. And trust me for everything in particular. This is a good word for some of you who are like, you know, I want God to use me. I really want to be useful. I'm getting stirred, Hosea. I want to be used by God. It's exactly the same. The details are different. I encourage you to take a second shirt, right? Two pairs of shoes is helpful. Open toe, closed toe, depending on the weather. But what you're going to have to do is trust. Anyone doing anything for the kingdom of God is a matter of trust. 
And so when you're in a place where you can afford it and you can do it and it's totally convenient and it's not going to hurt you, you're not in the boat yet. You're not in the boat. You're not in the game. Those who are really in the game are like, oh my gosh, if everyone knew what I know, this whole thing could flop. I would say, aha, you're really following Jesus. Now, I'm not saying be foolish. Jesus is not. He's like, be as wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove. You need wisdom, but you need to trust me. Now, the rest of Matthew 10, which we're not going to read this morning, is a list of very specific instructions. Jesus is down to the jot and tittle. He is precise on what he tells. Now, this is so funny. Matthew doesn't tell us when they went. And Matthew doesn't tell us when they came back. Because Matthew is making a point. Matthew, in Matthew 10, he never says, did they actually go? And, and, and where did they go? The travelogue? He's like uninterested. Matthew's interested in telling us that Jesus gave them precise instructions. That is the point. So you say, well, I don't get this and I'm not living in the first century. No problem. The point of the gospel is that Jesus will tell you exactly what you need when you need it. Now, here's why I know these are in real time. These instructions change. Just turn to the right to the end of Matthew's gospel. If you read the rest of Matthew's gospel, just go to Matthew 28. Um, I've also thrown this one on the screen for you if that's, if that's helpful. Matthew 28, the end of the gospel and after the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, he tells his, his disciples he's going to go away. And look at how Matthew frames the ending of his entire Jesus biography. This is where he ends. Verse 19, they came, uh, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. I want us to do a contrast. Matthew 10, Matthew 28. Matthew 10, everyone's to go. Matthew 28, who's to go? Everyone. He says this to the 11. Judas hung himself because he, he gave up Jesus, and out of despair, he killed himself. So the remaining 11 and those after him Everyone's still to go. So what does that tell us? You see, when I say specific instructions, sometimes there are timeless instructions. Sometimes there are time-sensitive instructions. And we need to be listening to know. So the, 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 the missions for everybody, where are they to go? It changes. Matthew 10, go to the lost sheep of Israel, Jews only. Matthew 28, go to all nations. Now, did Jesus like change his plans? Is there a plan A and a plan B? no. God's plan was always to redeem everyone, but God knows the best way to get there. So he tells his disciples, you don't need to know the whole story. You just need to know what you're supposed to do and your little piece of the story. And if every disciple obeys their little piece of the story, God's will is always done. The question is, do you know what your little piece of the story is? So, so what do they do? Matthew 10, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, it's, it's nuanced. Make disciples of all nations. Well, what's the difference? Jesus was walking with them, and Jesus had a team of disciples. Now Jesus is going to the Father, 
He's saying, you saw me bring people towards me to follow me. Now you go and call people with you to follow me. Because they're not going to physically see me, you are going to represent me, and you're going to tell people my way. Now, they're not going to be your disciples. They're going to be mine. But you see the difference. He was physically walking with them. Now he's not physically present. So, so make disciples. Kingdom of heaven is near. That was a message for Jews to know Messiah is coming. Make disciples. The Messiah came. The Messiah did his work. Salvation's available. Now follow Jesus. So some say the same. Some are different. And some are just nuanced. Now, how are we to go? Matthew 10, don't take anything with you. And this is interesting, Matthew 28, I am with you always. Matthew 10, he sent them away. <laughs> he wasn't there. Jesus hung out in his favorite coffee shop, sends out his disciples. They come back and report what they did without Jesus. Now Jesus says, I'm going back to the Father. I'm with you wherever all of you go. For that moment in time when he came, as a person, one place at one time. Now he ascends to the Father, and he's the king of the universe. He's the creator of all, and he can cover all of us. So again, the instructions sometimes are precisely the same. Sometimes there's a nuance. Now, how is Jesus going to be with everyone at all times? That doesn't make any sense. You read all of Matthew. He's going to give us his very spirit, the same spirit of God that fills the person of Jesus. So Jesus heals Jesus casts out demons. Jesus raises the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit working together. Now, the Father sent the Son, and the Son has given us the Holy Spirit. So we step into exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is making disciples. We're making disciples to Jesus. Jesus is, is proclaiming the kingdom of God. We're proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus goes about healing and delivering, we go about healing and delivering. The work of Jesus doesn't stop when Jesus goes to the Father. Matthew ends his gospel with an exclamation point. Everybody get out and do it. Everyone. Now that may seem like, wow, man, I'm just trying to figure out if, if I'm into Jesus. You're saying like go out and go in his name. If you choose to follow him, that is the call. So let's pull it all together. The last three weeks you can summarize in one statement, but since I'm paid by the word, I've drawn this out, okay? <laughs> I'm not paid by the words, by the phrase. All right. <laughs> Disciples are filled with compassion, called to pray, receive instructions, and go together. What does it mean for us to step into a season of growth? It means to step into the reality that we are to grow in compassion, grow in prayer, grow in instructions, and we are to go and do the Jesus work together. Now, Matthew is writing, he's writing 2,000 years ago to, to, to followers. He's writing a couple of decades after Jesus ascended, just a couple of decades. And so he's one of those who walked with Jesus. So people want to know what was Jesus like. Now we're living in a different age. I mean, we have the iPhone or the Samsung exploding galaxy or whatever you have. They had no cars. They had no planes. When Matthew wrote, he wrote with parchment that was rolled up into a scroll. And if, if you wanted another copy, you had to copy the entire thing word for word, make sure it was perfect, and put it on a scroll. And now, if you have version, I'm not exaggerating. I looked. You can have 
1,423 different translations of the Bible in 1,039 different languages. We live in a different world. So how do we take this ancient call and how do we live it out in our world? In other words, how do we step into our calling with Jesus' instructions? How do I do this? How do you do this? And this is what I want to spend the rest of our time in. How do we actually get Jesus? How do we know what Jesus' instructions are? A couple of things that we said in that previous statement. We pray together. The reason we call ourselves to prayer is we don't know. I don't know what Jesus wants to do in this community a year from now. And guess what? He's not going to tell me. He's going to ask me to press into him. And day by day, as I am pressing into Jesus, as I'm spending time with him and learning of him and hearing of him, and we're doing this together, you're praying and I'm praying, we're talking about it, and we're reading scripture together, and we're saying, man, it seems like God is reminding us of this, and he's challenging me with that. We gain instructions by spending time in Jesus together. It happens when we step out in faith together. Not only do we hear and listen, but when Jesus begins to give us these ideas, we step out in faith. As I said time and time again, when the idea of planting this church came out, A, I thought I was the wrong person to lead it. It took me months, took my wife and I months to figure out, is this something that, I've never done this, I don't even know if we, I've really figured, I'm going to run out of things to say in like three months. I'm just going to run out. And what am I going to do then? Pressure's on. But it was moment by moment realizing, okay, I, we, we got to step out and trust that this is Jesus' leading and be willing to make mistakes along the way. And we've done a few things right, but I have a much longer list of things that we just did really bad. Not intentionally, not maliciously, but some things we just got wrong. Like, oops, don't do that again. And that's okay. Because I'm not perfect, Jesus is. None of his disciples are perfect. Matthew's real clear. You read Matthew, you see all these disciples, they all have flaws and shortcomings. And like, I could relate to that and I like that. If you're perfect, congratulations. You probably don't fit here because we're not. And I'm totally okay with that. We tell, (laughs) I tell our team all the time, sometimes the weekend gathering goes really smoothly. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, And I just say, hey, we got 52 shots a year at this. 52 weekends to gather. Let's brush it off. If we didn't plan well, let's do better. If we could have thought it through, let's do that. But if it just, if there was a blunder, so what? Let's gather next weekend and Jesus is okay. And I hope that we continue in that direction. We also, though, in order to do this, we need to embrace change together. We need to embrace change. Read from Matthew 10 to Matthew 28 and you see that They're moving all the time. Some of the places where Jesus goes, he's received well. Some of the places, he's kicked out of town. Talk about a blunder. Talk about a mistake. Looking back on your life, we didn't want Jesus in our town. Oops. But that's that's just part of life. So we have to embrace change. Now, how do we live this out as a church? I said every week we're drilling out how we live it out as a church, and then we ask you to pray about how you're to live it out as a person. Well, let me tell you about our changes. When we started, we were in this building. We gathered in this building from day one, but Sunday nights only. We had no morning gathering. 
And many of you sacrificed. And I just want to say again, thank you. Some of you reshifted your whole schedule to gather at night because you believed this was worth it. And thank you for doing that. Enough said, like, man, it would be great to start a morning gathering. Like, I've got little ones, and they're usually asleep by seven, and this is really hard. We prayed. God led us to Liberty High School down the road, opened a door for us to meet there. We met at 10 in the morning and at 6 at night. It was way harder at a school than here. I thought it was going to be easier at the school. I was shocked at how much harder it was on our setup and teardown team. It was really tough. Like, okay, Lord, you're calling us to do hard things. But we began to look for other properties to, to rent so that we could meet in another space. Then I got a phone call that this space was going to be fully available all day Sunday. Wow, we stepped back in here two years ago in September. We began meeting here at 10 and 6. And then this year, we started 9 and 11 and 6. We've not had one year of consistency as a church. Not one year. And, and that doesn't make us weird. That just means we're alive. Living organisms change. Living things, statues don't change. But living families, living businesses, living churches change. So what we want to do is we want to share some like very specific changes. In order to do that, first thing I'm going to have us do is we're going to watch a video. It talks about some structural changes. I'll come back and we'll tease it out. John Mark Comer here, along with Josh Porter and Dominic Doan, Jose Zayas. Together we lead our family of churches, and we have a quick word about our future together. First, a brief history for all of you that are new to our story. So our family of churches actually started back in 2004 as a church plant called Solid Rock out in Beaverton on the west side of the city. And then six years ago, we planted Bridgetown Church in the city. And then four years ago, Sunset Church out in Hillsborough, and then just recently, Van City and the crew up north of the river. And over now a decade plus, there's been kind of an evolution in the best sense of the word. We started out as one church, then we became a multi-site church, if you remember the language, one church in three locations. And then as we started to grow and mature in our ecclesiology or our theology of the church, we really came to believe that the church is not a product, it's a people. It's not a brand to market across the city. And so we made the shift to what we now call a family of churches. That's kind of halfway between a multi-site church and a denomination. So each church really is its own church, it has its own leadership, own elder team, deacon team, lead pastor, its own part of the city to run after. But then behind the scenes, we've still been one 501c3, we do give a cry together, our justice initiative, and a bunch of great stuff. So all of that is actually about to change. In a few weeks, we all are going to become our own 501c3 and our own like kind of full-on independent or whatever you want to call it, church. But it's all good. The analogy that we keep coming back to is the analogy of a family. So we all have little kids. I have three grade schoolers and you know, right now they live under my roof, they eat my food, they consume most of my grocery budget, we do life together kind of all week long, but there will come a time when they get older, when it's time for them to move out of the house, get their own place, their own job, their own bank account, but we'll stay family and we'll stay in relationship. And I think that's kind of the place we're at. Our family of churches is officially kind of disbanding, but we're still in great relationship and still together kind of once family, always family. Yeah, so what is changing is October 1st, uh, we're all becoming our own separate 501c3, 
And then up until this point, we've all been part of the Jesus Church family of churches, uh, but there's gonna be some changes in our names moving forward. So Bridgetown at Jesus Church, Van City at Jesus Church will just be Bridgetown Church, Van City Church. But we're still following Jesus. But we're we still like Jesus. Just to clarify. Um, Westside actually is gonna stay the, the same, so it'll be Westside at Jesus Church, but Sunset is changing their name to 26 West. Yeah, 26 West Church. And the good news is we're all in a healthy place and we're committed to do justice in Jesus' name together. So here the cry continues. All of us are contributing uh, to serve Jesus together locally and globally. Yeah. And so these are exciting times. Yeah. Yeah, even us at Van City, you know, our story has only begun and proper this last year, but it's already historically wrapped up in the story of these churches, these people, these communities, and we're excited about remaining friends and partners together in the kingdom of God. And pause. Did we just say we changed the name of our church? Yeah, we just did. And it's easier to do by video than standing up there and saying it. So now... Now that some of you fainted and others of you checked out and the tech-savvy ones went to our website, we actually had a few uh, texts this week saying, your, your, your website's down this weekend, man. Can you fix it? I'm like, well, it's actually down on purpose. Um, okay, what does this mean? You're saying, like, you just changed. I want to recap and, and clarify. Um, what is changing and, and why now? Our fiscal year runs, ends September 30th and begins October 1. This change has been two years in the making. It was two years ago when we realized if we want to plant as many churches as possible, our structure does not fit planting many churches. Up until now, up until the end of this month, we all share one bank account and one centralized everything, which makes it harder to plant churches farther from the Portland metro area. So this was a strategic decision that was made a couple of years ago. But out of love, we realized we need to go slowly to give every church the opportunity to build their own elder team, their own deacon team, their own organizational team. And we were committed to do everything together until every single church is strong and healthy and financially ready for the change. So, so we realized about a year ago, it will take one more year to do this. So this is not a, hey man, two weeks ago, everyone had a fight and, and now we're moving on. No. Is there a fracture or a rift? Absolutely not. It was a decision based on the reality of we believe that living things multiply. In order to multiply to as many people to go to all nations, we can't do it with an antiquated structure. So every church having their own budget, leaders, mission, part of the city can now partner together with every other church easily because we are decentralized, whereas before we were overly centralized. So the big one, like, okay, Van City Church to Van City, that seems, why did we go rad and, and, and like go from Sunset? It's real simple. Uh, down the road, one exit is Sunset Covenant Church. Two exits down the road is Sunset Presbyterian Church. We love these churches. They were here before us. We respect them and embrace God's calling in their world. Two years ago, when we switched to a family of churches and went from Solid Rock Sunset to Sunset of Jesus Church, we almost changed our name. Because I was like, guys, that's too close to our friends at Sunset Pres. And, but, but, 
out of fear in the good sense. We were two years old. We had changed everything. I was like, let's, if we change everything this fast, we could shake people's confidence that we're going to actually continue as a church. So we said, let's wait. At the right time, we don't know when that is. At the right time, we're going to change our name. We actually told Sunset Presbyterian, give us a bit of time. We're going to change our name. We know we're super close. And they've been great about it. And there's no tension whatsoever. Why 26 West? Because it's a synonym. It's the same thing. Highway 26 West is Sunset. They're synonyms. And so we realized, <laughs> did you not catch that? What, what happened here? <laughs> we, we are still called to this area. We still love this part of the city. We, we embrace it. So we're not like totally flipping, becoming something we weren't. We're just nuancing it in a way that respects our brothers and sisters and continues on. Now, hear the cry and what we do together. All of the churches are continuing to serve the poor, the widow, the orphan here and around the world. Absolutely no change. Everyone's giving 10% into one larger fund. We found that church planting and justice work are easy to partner, but you don't need to have a centralized services to do that. And so instead of it automatically going, we'll be cutting a check with every offering for 10% to go towards Hear the Cry. So how does this affect you? Most of you are like, hey, I didn't even realize we were centralized. Oops, should I have known that? No, it's all been behind the scenes. For most of you, the, the biggest effect will be have, we have a brand new website and we have a new name. So yes, Solid Rock Sunset, Sunset of Jesus Service 26 West. Three names in four and a half years. We've got to get an Olympic medal for that. We totally have to get an Olympic medal. But in one sense, nothing's changed. Our name just gives a reminder that we love this part of the city. And if you live in this part of the city, especially on this corridor, and, and why is it not just Hillsborough Church or whatever? Because we have a big vision. We think that 26 West goes all the way to the coast. So our gospel call does not end at the border of Hillsborough or Banks or any other town. We, we feel that God is calling us to plant churches and do evangelism in many places in Oregon and in many parts of the world. So what is the change? It's real simple. If we're keeping the same online giving tool, but those of you who give, I just give and it's, it takes not even 30 seconds. You click the church on push pay that you want to give to. October 1, you're going to see 26 West instead of sunset. That's, that's, or if you write a check or you do it through your online banking, hugely important, hugely important that you change that to 26 West Church because we're not receiving, as of October 1, gifts to sunset. That entity, Sunset of Jesus Church, ceases to exist. So help us in that regard, uh, and that's about it. Now, change isn't always exciting, and it's not always smooth, but I, I believe that this is the smoothest transition I've ever been a part of. And now we get to call to live out the call that Jesus has given us. We're not here to talk about today institutional change. We're here to talk about hearing Jesus' instructions. So I think the best thing that we can do is to live as disciples, filled with compassion, compassion for Bridgetown, compassion for Van City, compassion for West Side of Jesus Church, compassion for the other churches that are being planted right now, and we pray for them. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do even now. Take your Bible, take your notes, put it aside, 
And I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters. We're not going to pray for ourselves. We're not going to pray for this new season for us. Uh, do that when we get home, right? But rather, we're going to pray for all of the churches that are immediately connected. We're four and a half years old, but look at what God is already doing. Westside of Jesus Church planted us with hundreds of thousands of dollars in resources given to us to plant this church. Bridgetown and Van City, but there are, there's more. Um, River's Edge in Spokane has already started and they've begun their gatherings. Now we are investing financially in them. We've supported them and we're supporting them again and again to see them flourish. Uh, River's Bend in Bend is about to launch on Christmas, on Christmas Eve, and we're already financially supporting them and continue to support. We're going to send people over, and if you move to Bend, I found a church for you. Um, but we're also a global church. We're part of a global movement. So in year one, we planted a church in Uganda when we had just gotten started, and we're part of a, a church plant in Tallinn, um, called Vineyard Tallinn in Estonia. God's doing, and this is just, a, this, I want you to see the short list. One day we're going to laugh when we have to scroll through or do like eight point font because of all of the Jesus work that you and I are a part of. So I'm gonna ask you to do something very bold, right? We're gonna do a handstand, all sit, no, calm down. <laughs> we're not gonna do a handstand. But I am going to ask you to grab the hand of the person next to you and go across the aisles. And I know some people's hands are warm and some are cold. And this is that moment where we say, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. But let's do that. We're going to, and here's what we're going to do. Brandon's going to lead us in worship in a minute. But we're going to spend a couple of minutes and we're going to pray out loud together. Jesus hears you in whatever language you speak. And I want us all, and, and look at the screen as you pray. If you know someone in that church, pray for them. If you know one of the leaders, if you know their story, if you know specifics, let's pray for all of our brothers and sisters in all of these churches. And then in response to prayer, we're going to worship and thank God that he does new things. Amen. I'll start us off and I'm going to release you to pray. Lord, we're your kids. And we want to be better disciples, apprentices, learners, growing in you. This year, we believe that you're calling us to step out into a season of growth. And now we call on your name, not for us, but for those that you love in these other communities. We pray that you'll be pleased with what we ask you for. In your name, amen. Why don't you just lift up your voice and let's pray to Jesus together.